This is Jason Albert, and you're listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. This is our wrap-up of Stage 5 of the Tour de Ski, which was a 10K and 15K classic pursuit in Toblock, Italy. Tomorrow is a rest day. There'll be no podcast episode, and we will pick back up on Friday, where Stage 6 gets going from Val di Fiemme, Italy. Jason. Good evening. How are you? Good evening. Good, thanks. How are you doing? Doing quite well, actually. Um, okay, a couple of softballs here. One, you listening to like some sort of BBC NPR equivalent in Norway or tunes on your drive from the Lahamer to Oslo? You know what? I actually listen to podcasts. Gotcha. My wife's like really not into podcasts, but I just like, I just love them. So and you know what, like when you're studying, procrastinating, I haven't been doing a whole lot of commuting. So I have like a lot in the, I have a lot in the hopper. What's your go-to? So some, well, well, there's a lot of, it's very diverse actually, but I, I listened to a couple climbing podcasts that I think are pretty fun. Have you heard of the Normal cast? I have. I yeah. Have. So I, I actually love Calusa's podcast. Yeah, he's awesome. good. He is good. So uh, listen to the Normal cast when that comes out. I also listen to his other podcasts that run out. With Andrew Bisharat, he used to be the editor at uh, Rock and Ice. Yeah, Bisharat's kind so, of a controversial dude, a little bit. Yeah, I know, and I and I kind of love it though. He's like so surly. Yeah, he's like yeah, sour. Yeah, great. He's gotten called um, to the mat. I I don't know what I know. Like I, I I was abreast of this a few months ago, but he's been called to the mat pretty harshly. Well, for oh, yeah. for probably good reason in the past like year or two. But anyhow, okay, what else? Yeah, but he's been like cancel. We're talking like cancel culture and the whole deal. Oh yeah. So um, then, but like the Daily from the New York Times, I love it. Yep. Radio Lab, good stuff. Radio Lab, that's a classic. Love it. This American love Jad. Yeah, Jad Abenrod's awesome. And uh, I mean, This American Life. I mean, that's the that's the one that started this whole this whole this whole deal. So Ira Glass is still. Uh, I, anytime he comes out with new stuff, I mean, I'm right there to listen. So yeah, it's a really, really diverse, really diverse set. And then some like medical, even though I'm not in medicine or anything, but just some like really dorky stuff too. So a whole bunch of. Sure. Right. There's the, uh, I forget the name of it, but I was so hooked on it over the summer. My, my virus podcast. Yeah, exactly. I've, so there's, I've there's lapsed. lots of different ones. So, but that's, yeah. um, but those are like, those are, I would say like, that's a, that covers like a pretty good, like go to for sure. Radio. If I had to okay. pick, like, if I had to be stuck on a desert island and could only listen to, oof, that's tough because I, I really do like the normal cast actually, but um, I probably I would pick like the Daily, um, This American Life, and Radio Lab. I'll tell you right now, check out December third's Radio Lab. It, it, that one, that one is. If you haven't listened to that one, we're in this like pandemic thing that we're all living through. But here's another thing I should say. I can't believe I forgot about this. Planet Money, man. Planet. Oh, Money. it's great. Fantastic. Planet Money and The Indicator. Love those podcasts. So NPR really does a great job, not going to lie. Okay, so I am going to throw something out there because I used to love this. And I just Googled it because I was like, okay, I know the guy's name. Do you ever remember CBC? So this is your people, okay? Your former people, your people in Canada, CBC. No, my people for sure. I am not Norwegian. 100% my people. Continue. Okay. Um they had a radio series podcast called Wiretap. Do you ever remember this? Oh, yeah, dude. The best. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Jonathan Goldstein? Jacob Goldstein? Yeah. Jonathan Goldstein. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Goldstein is uh, with uh, 
with Planet uh, Money, This American something. Life. But, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And right. Planet Money. But, um, but uh, no, man. Dude, Wiretap was awesome. Brilliant. Jonathan Goldstein. And then, and I mean, I like his, I like his uh, Heavyweight's a good one, too. He's funny. I, I get a real crack out of uh, Jonathan Goldstein. So his, his new, newer podcast has been a couple seasons now. But Heavyweight, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> okay, so... Um, a couple of things here, stage five of the tour to ski. So we're more than halfway over, which I'm really excited about, frankly. And the, the start times, at least for West Coast, have been kind of semi-humane, you know, four in the morning. It's not bad. Um, oh, God, you're a hero. I'm definitely not a hero, but I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it's tolerable. Not early. Okay, so we had a, a, a 10K classic pursuit for the women and a 15K classic pursuit for the men. And just to clarify for people who maybe haven't uh, read the stories that we've posted about the, you know, the race reports or they've just looked at you know, FIS PDFs for, or, or live timing, um, the start today, the, start, the time back was prefaced off of your time back on stage four, not cumulative time back. Which, exactly. It was an old school pursuit. Think like go back YouTube 1994 Olympics, Lillehammer. It's a two day pursuit that that's ran for decades and decades and decades and fist being fist, just like changing formats all the time, went away from it for a while and they started to bring it back again, which I think is really fun. I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great race today and it was, um, there's lots of good stuff to unpack. I mean, I just can't say enough about the women's field right now. I love it. I just love the women's field at the Tour de Ski right now. It's awesome. Okay, so, I mean, maybe it's not obvious to listeners, but why? Um, the biggest reason for me, actually, from the women's field is, like, I feel, <clears throat> like we've talked a little bit over the last couple of days, like, I, I feel like while the men's racing is, like, we're seeing some just, like, great athletes throwing down, it's it just doesn't have the, the cachet. It doesn't have that, like, that vibe that a big race should have and the tour de ski. And I'm really biased. I think the tour de ski is an amazing idea. So like your Capole and Degard Aldang that came up with, with the whole mm-hmm. format. Uh, what a great in, invention. And it's been wildly popular in Europe, especially with the TV audience. And I just think it's so fun to see who the best overall skier is um, midway through the season. It's become like a big highlight of the season. Of course, it, it does play second fiddle to the world championships, especially for the big Scandinavian nations and Russia, where these championships, the Olympics, the world championships, they just reign so supreme, again, because of the history. Um, but aside from that, I think, it's, and there's also just a lot at play at the Tour de Ski. I mean, the, the person that wins the Tour de Ski or first and second in the Tour, if you have any aspirations of winning the overall World Cup, um, you better finish like top two or three in the Tour de Ski or else forget it. You're not going to be there. And I think this year's edition has a lot of heavy hitters that are really battling it out. The racing is tight. I think it's so fun. Like today, let's just take like Ebba Anderson right back in it. You yeah. know what I mean? She finishes second. She was in the sprint. What a great, what a great um, finish to the race. I mean, um, Julia Stupak was just seeing super Russian style, really great classic skiing. And she's such a great classic sprinter. So it wasn't really a big surprise when they all three came down that hill together and you knew, you knew how this was going to end uh, against sprinting against Diggins or Eva Anderson. But, but I thought it was just, there's a lot of great storylines there. And you see like Krista Parmakowski, the big, the big um, star from Finland, the Finnish the women's fin- uh, ski team. She's back up in fifth. Um, yeah. She lost some time, uh on the day or whatever but honestly you know how i feel about time of day of pursuits like it means nothing to me so the the race is really to see who finishes 
who crosses the finish line first. So seeing Parmakowski, you got big names in there, right? And like Nepreyeva, again, we've, we've discussed, she had a great time of the day. She was able to move up a lot from 21st all the way back up to 10th. Um, we didn't get to see her a whole lot on, on screen, sadly, which is too bad because it would have been really interesting to see how she was skiing more often because that was some that was a major move for her to finish 10th. It's not going to help her. It's not going to help her in her overall aspirations. We've talked about this before, but if, if anybody at FIS is listening and I was dying for this today was like, give us the, the capacity to just like flip screens ourselves manually so I could watch oh, yeah. Gus Schumacher. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, like you said, or watch Neprieva if you're a Russian, you know, perspective person. Yeah, or not even just a Russian fan, just to understand like the the move she made today. Sure. It was a yeah, great it was exactly. a great performance. It was a real bounce back performance from Neprieva. It's too little too late for the overall, but it's still uh it bodes well going into Val de Fiam. But anyways, I just think there's a lot of great storylines in the women's field. There's a lot of different nations represented. That's always exciting. And I think it's good for the sport. And while while we're missing the Norwegians, um, which is sad, on the women's side, honestly, there's so many great skiers that are in such great shape. Uh, Stu Pack, Rosie Brennan, and Diggins are the ones that come to mind. Um, and I think it's just been really fun. And I, I, I mentioned this a little a second ago, but I think it's really cool and i don't want to get like overhyped and stuff but diggins or brennan if they can finish this tour off and let let's just hypothetically say diggins wins the tour to ski first of all that would be just so huge yeah you know what's even more huge than that you start to create a great like some real excitement and the overall world cup it starts to be fairly realistic and that is a crazy statement because winning the overall world cup is it doesn't get much bigger than that and no woman in american ski history has won the overall world cup and it would be just such an, a huge amazing achievement and the road to the overall world cup starts and doesn't end but starts and goes a long way if you can put together a great 10 days of racing and uh, like with the rest days involved in 10 day competition in, in, uh, in the tour to ski. So I thought the classic race today for the women was super exciting. It was really fun. I'm really proud of, well, proud, listen to me. Um, you know, I know Diggins really well, <laughs> proud maybe is not the right word. Diggins skied a great race today and she was looking good in classic. Her technique looked good. This is a back to back, uh, great classic races for her. And yeah, she's obviously in great shape. We've all seen that. And, and, and those that are a little disappointed with Rosie finishing fourth, please do not be because fourth, a top five, another top five finish for Rosie Brandon. Again, like just go through her history. She's 32 years old. She's been grinding for a long time and she's just putting together a season for the ages. So there was lots to cheer about. And I thought it was great racing today. Other than the, again, like you, like you mentioned a little bit, the production side, the, from the production side of things, Toblock is kind of missing the mark a little bit. It's a little frustrating, but, but we did get to see some great racing. Yeah. But some of the visuals were, Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, just for, for people that are new, perhaps for the World Cup, you know, I've kind of asked several questions over the course of the tour, you know, qualifying for people that are new. But that said, uh, you know, if you have your eyes set on the overall World Cup globe, uh, can you explain a little bit about how it's sort of value added? There's, you know, it's uh, it's kind of weighted. The year is weighted towards uh, folks who do a little bit better in the tour. Yeah, for sure. So, so here's the big thing. Like when you win the Tour de Ski, you get the overall winner just gets is a wash with points. <laughs> uh, 
And for, for a normal World Cup, it's 100 points for the win, 80 points for second, 60 points for third, 50 points for fourth, and then it falls from there. So let's just pause and think about that for a second. A win is weighted heavily. So if you win a normal World Cup race, you get 100 points. If you're fourth, which is also a phenomenally good result, you only walk away with 50. Uh, in the Tour de Ski, in the overall, you win 400 points if you win the Tour. Bonus. And then, well, not bonus, but you win 400 points. And if you're second, you win 320. And if you're third, you win 240. So you see how far it falls, right? And if you're fourth, you win 200. And this makes a huge difference. So in, the, in each stage of the Tour de Ski, instead of winning 100 points like a normal World Cup, you only win 50. And then the fallout from there is a lot less for the stages. So uh, compared to a World Cup. But when you start adding it up, you look at Bolshinov, who's winning every single race of this Tour de Ski. Or, or Diggins, that's just been like throwing down amazingly well. Like she starts collecting like an immense amount of points. So in a seven-stage tour, let's say you win every stage, which is no one is doing that. But, but just for argument's sake, you win seven stages of the tour. Um, that's 350 points. Then you win the overall. That's 400 points. So in 10 days of racing, you walk away with 750 points. And to think that the overall World Cup is won, let's say if you're, if you're sitting at around like 1,400, 1,200 to 1,600 points, you are looking pretty good to be in contention for winning the overall World Cup. Of course, Teresa Yohag, when she wins the overall World Cup without losing a single race all season, she's going to be a lot higher than that. And then, and then um, Martin Sunby. You know, Martin Jones would send me some years that he's won. He had just like amazing point totals. And then the year that I was second in the overall World Cup, um, Dario Colonia just like broke all the records and had the highest point total ever that year. Uh, he also, so, I mean, it, <laughs> you can you can get up near 2,000 points as well, although that's fairly rare. So I'm just saying like, so you, you, you set a really good, you set yourself up really well if you walk away from the tour, let's say with like 700 points or so. Uh, that that is a serious statement for the overall World Cup, and especially in a championship year, because in a championship year you don't have two tours. Um, you have the mini tour in Ruka, which has already been has already happened, so people collected good points there. But then running into the World Championships, you see athletes skipping some World Cups to train and prepare for the for the championship, the big highlight of the season, and and then that uh, those are races that they can't get back, and those are points that are off the table. So. So the Tour de Ski definitely is uh, heavily weighted, as it should be. It's a great event, and you know what? It is the, it is the diamond of the World Cup season. Um, the championship, remember, isn't a part of the World Cup. You don't get points for winning the Olympics. You don't get points for winning the World Championships. So in the World Cup itself, the big, the big highlight is the Tour de Ski. What are your thoughts? I know historically, on the women's side in particular, you know, you would have big names like Kala, Bjorgen, uh, th- those are the two that popped to my to my mind that that during a championship year, be it Olympics or World Champs, skip the tour, you know, to prime themselves. And no, again, I understand one is, uh, you know, if you go to the Wikipedia page, it's like championships won, right? That's that's the yeah, benchmark. Exactly. Um, and then there's you know opportunity cost for you know advertisers that's what they're looking for is that high profile championship tv time so to speak so i'm just curious what are your thoughts on that 
um, in terms of what this can or cannot do to an athlete from a fueling standpoint and how taxing it is, especially in a championship year? Well, I mean, that's a really interesting, that's a really interesting discussion. And um, I, from the women's side of things, it's, it's funny because both Mark Bjergen and Charlotte Kala have won the Tour de Ski. So the incentive <laughs> when you've won the Tour de Ski once, um, the, like you said, in these countries, especially Scandinavia, like the world championships and the Olympics just are weighted so heavily. And um, just historically, it just means so much. So, you know, when athletes skip the Tour de Ski, it is, it is a bit strange to me in, in some senses that the women, um, it, it's mostly been big name women that, that skip the Tour de Ski as opposed to the men's side. You don't see a lot of big name men uh, skip the Tour de Ski throughout the history of, of the event. Um, but it's hard to argue because, like you said, when you see who dominates the championships, um, Mara Bjergen definitely comes to mind. I mean, she's the greatest skier of all time, men or women. And Charlotte Kala has had just a storied career. So they obviously know what they're doing. And um, But that said, like the women's, it, 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 the Tour de Ski when it began was actually like quite difficult. We had these really long uh, transfers we were racing in Nova Mesto and then going to Prague and mm-hmm. then going all the right. way to Oberhof, Germany, in Eastern Germany, and then down, like we were just all over the place. And there was a lot more stages and it was a lot more involved and it was actually like a really difficult race. Now the Tour de Ski has been defanged completely. I mean, you have a bunch of 15, we had like 36K pursuit races over like mountain passes and stuff. And, right, and, and, right, like and, point to point. Yeah, point to point races, but long, like 36 kilometers and then waking up the next day and doing another race kind of thing. And and here in these days, I mean, like the longest race for men is 15K. I mean, this is, the, the, the Tour de Ski is not that hard. What's hard is the is the stress. So if you're in contention in the Tour de Ski, especially for a guy like Bolshinov or you know what, a lot of the Russian compatriots that are behind them that are kind of fighting for those second and third spot. I mean, that's a lot of stress, especially when the, especially when the, it's really tight and you, you really feel that and that affects you. So just like getting psyched for that race every day, but also trying to come down after a race, this is really challenging and it takes like a lot of energy. So while the racing itself is, especially compared to what it used to be, um, it's, it's very much uh, defanged. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, um, but that said, I will say this, and this is kind of a fun stat in 2017, when Ustigov dominated the world championships in, in Lati, that was the first time the tour de ski winner won an individual gold at the world championships of the same year that he won. He so got the, lucky though, didn't he? Was yeah. that the race with, uh, with um gosh you can say the guy with want. the back problems you can you can say what, <laughs> you know what i'm you, talking about right we can say what we want the fact of the matter is for the first 10 years of the tour you think about that and a lot of the big name skiers like petter did the tour every single year dario colonia did the tour every year and dario colonia won and, and dario colonia also has won a lot of world championship won world championship gold and olympic gold often um, but the fact of the matter is the years that he won Olympic gold or world championship gold, he did not win the tour de ski. So the first time a man both won the tour de ski and world championship or Olympic gold in the same season was 10 years after its inception with, with Ustigov in 2017. So there is something to be said. I, I was just a stat I followed because I think it was funny when I was an active athlete. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting because this discussion, this discussion with the women skipping the tour, top women skipping the tour de ski this was something that we was discussed over the dinner table uh in our team and then just talk shit on the trails with the other countries and 
And, um, you know, one day, like it was probably Alex and I, like just looking through it because we're just mega Nordorks to the max, um, started realizing that like, wow, even the biggest names in skiing, um, when they've won world championships and stuff, they haven't, they haven't won the tour to ski in the same season. So, so yeah, there, there may be, there might be something to it, but it might just be a curse, but that curse was broken in 2017, like I said. So it's really, uh, it's really a moot point now. Yeah, but okay. The curse goes both ways. So I, I just, I, again, we don't need to beat a dead horse, except maybe just one more tap on the horse's mane here. So he's coming into the, up that last hill with Sunby, right? Am I thinking in the same race? Uh, uh, was No, no, Ustigoff. When he won the Ustigov, yeah, in 2017, he he lost, yeah, he won that one because because uh, broke his pole. Yeah, he broke a pole in like the last like minute and a half. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, there you go. But still, yeah, oh yeah, no, no, for sure, it would have been an interesting sprint. But you know what, Sunby versus Ustigov in a sprint finish. Forget I know. about it. Ustigov I have to say, but I was that ten times out of ten. I was rooting for Sunby from a yeah, just from a he had never at that point hadn't won a champ, individual championship. So no, he hadn't. And the fact, and you know what, to to just go back in the way back machine here a little bit more, like Sunby's win in Seifeld in the 15k classic after so many near misses and after being the best skier in the world for a number of years for half a decade. Uh, what a, what a performance. I missed the beard. So gotta say, yeah, uh, you never know. He might be back. He's a total beast. Um, Okay, so in closing for the women's side here, so Diggins still leads the overall, even though she comes in third today. She still leads the overall by 22 seconds over Brennan, who came in fourth today, and Stupak moves up to 50. Oh, sorry, moves up to third overall, uh, 58 seconds back. Frieda Carlson, who who did not have a good day, 13th on the day, is 129 back. And I'm just going to bump back to sixth place because she's been doing so well as Eva Anderson is two minutes back, probably out of it, but she finished second today. So, you know, she's she's completely out of it for the overall because she can't sprint her way out of a paper bag, but uh, it's nice to see her. Yeah. So what do you think about three, three stages left, uh, two kind of real stages and four, the the third stage is obviously real, but it's just the uphill climb. Um, Yeah. How do you parse out? the top four separated by, you know, again, Carlson in fourth, who's hurt evidently at 129. Not evidently, right? I'm answering that. Yeah. yeah. Not, not, not evidently, not evidently. She's still racing at a high level, but I think, I think, uh, I think uh, Frida Carlson is, her youth is, sh- is showing through here a little bit and she's just, you know, she's, she's not able to hold the form needed to, to win the tour to ski as of now. So I really think it is, it is, Jesse versus Rosie to take the to take the tour to ski, barring a complete disaster in of waxing or or a meltdown in the um, the classic race in in Val de Fiam. And like I said, um, the the time Ebba Anderson as good as she could be up the hill, although she's been so up and down here, so it's hard to say. Um, like, yeah, it, it's going to be an American win in the tour to ski if this continues. I just see no. Uh, I see no other reason for that. And and when I'm looking ahead to the weather too, and this is really huge for um, in Val de Fiamma in coming up here, the weather is sun and lows of minus nine, minus 10 overnight and highs of only minus two. So it's not going to be like the mess it can be in Val de Fiamma when it's like 14 degrees and like some new snow that fell overnight and just some like waxing hell. Yeah. I mean, it's very stable conditions. It's very, the weather right now anyway, uh, is very stable with sun and minus 10 overnight, no wind. 
um, not a lot of snow in the last few days. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be primo conditions and easy waxing. I mean, really, you could just chuck a layer, a couple layers of multigrade on, on your skis and, and you'd be good to go. So I think, um, I think there'll be an American, I think there'll be an American winner at the tour de ski. Yeah, I really do. So on the guy's side, one qualifier is, cause we did talk about this a few podcasts ago. I, I, again, a lovely opportunity to have solo shots of Bolshinov off the front, just to sort of listen to him breathing. I mean, there's no fans, so you can, everything is audible, um, you know, as he, as he's kind of pacing himself and just the technique. So that for me, you know, aesthetically is kind of pleasing, uh, perhaps unpleasing, but the reality is, you know, a lot of red Lycra and boy, I would have loved to have been like live miking Magnificat if he could have spoken and narrated what was going on today, <laughs> surrounded by those guys. Yeah, you know, I thought it was another great race by Magnificat, especially in classic. Like he's really, he's really all over the place with his classic skiing. So he had a great race in sixth, and Magnificat's really like I like I've said before, his his horrendous start to the season has now officially been turned around. I mean, he's top six most days in the distance races, and and uh, having a great competition overall. Um, but like you said, Bolshinov, there's no one better. There's no, there's no better classic skier technically in the world right now in distance. Uh, that's evident. I mean, Ivo Niskanen is a great classic skier as well. And so is, so of course is, uh, Johannes Klebo, but, uh, Bolshinov's putting on a real clinic and, and you, you can see it pretty evidently when you, when you see how he's racing, he's got high hips. He, his, he's putting the power right down into the snow. There's not a lot of wasted energy and yeah, low shoulders and just, really fluid and skiing in that like more classic Russian style, which is like I've said before on the podcast, like a little longer, taking a little more time on each leg than, uh, than an Ivo Niskanen or a Johannes Klebo, which is a little different style. Are you, I mean, it is, I just popped up the results and again, not that it should be surprising because we all know what happened, you know, yesterday, um, uh, with, with the Russians, but I mean, it's just like packed with the Russians again. I'm like the top, is this right? Yeah, official results. The top nine, all are Russians except our our French friend. Um, astounding. So I am curious from from a, a time back standpoint. Uh, it's it, uh, and again, I always kind of qualify because I'm just pulling up so many times and so many kind of mini spreadsheets throughout the day as we're writing these race reports up. Bolshinov gains time on this these people today. Are you surprised by that? No, I'm not, because he's just on such a different level than anyone else on the start list. There's only two people in the world that can contend with Bolshinov in a 15K Classic, and that's Ivo Niskanen, who's not there, and Johannes Klebo, who's not there. So, I mean, as good a race as Yakimushkin had, as good a race as Belov had, as good a race as, as Manifica had, I mean, these guys are a far cry from the best classic skiers in the world. Uh, they are among the best classic skiers in the world, but they're a far cry from the the numero uno in Bolshinov or, or, or Niskanen or Klebo, like it's, it's uh, there's a huge difference between them. So, so I'm not, I'm not surprised that he was able to just not just uh, hold his lead, but gain pull time out on, especially on a course like Toblock, which is lighter terrain and it really suits Bolshinov's big, powerful style. So um, no, not surprised at all actually in classic that he was able to have the fastest time of the day and just like, do it alone that that is that's to be expected and i mean here's a little bit of a i mean he's a long way back in the race but but here's a little bit of an example like lucas Beugel, uh intense the german is so a different german intense um than Brugge, uh yesterday but but the fact of the matter is like lucas Beugel intense is 
yeah, I mean, just look through his look through his history and and uh, of racing. Like, he doesn't have a whole lot of top tens. He wouldn't be top ten if the Norwegians were there, and he's a long way back. So the field is weakened without the Norwegians there, especially on the men's side in the race. The race is a lot less exciting, but but uh, when you when you want to try and compare Bolshinov and the way he skis, and the, it's compared to the rest of the field that's currently at the Tour de Ski, it's it's uh, men versus boys. It's it's no 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 competition. You know, Andre Melvachenko came in fifth today. I think was he the f- skier who broke his pole twice today? Did you notice that? Yeah, that was. Uh, but that's it's just a messy. The messy scene, <laughs> but but the but the Russians for sure packing the top ten. Not surprising, but uh, but what was another great race was like Gus Schumacher. He started the day fourteenth and he finished fifteenth. This is a this is a wonderful performance by Gus Schumacher. And what I think is super fun, and this is kind of like the race within the race that I've really enjoyed following this whole year is is William Portema and uh, Gus Schumacher battling it out. There they've been close to each other. Uh, during this tour, and they're both first-year seniors. And Portima was back in 21st today, but he but he moved up from 27th. This is the Swede um, with the 13th best time of the day. Uh, so so it's actually kind of been fun to have uh, some races within the races, especially these young guys. Uh, there's not a lot of guys born in 2000 on the on the on the start list, as you guys can see. I mean, it's a tough place to be being a first-year senior, especially competing in the Tour de Ski. So to see Gus Schumacher and uh, William Porama battling it out, it's been a lot of fun. You know, here's something I am curious about because you you mentioned this about the course um, in Tobolsk, and I think also about Val Mustaire. You're like, well, it's not, you know, it's not punching you with really difficult hills. And I don't want to. I'm sort of paraphrasing you, but is that do I have that about right? Like, yeah, that's true. No, that's that's totally true. Valmustair can. Well, the hardest thing with Valmustair is the altitude, and and the distance races in Valmustair can be very challenging. Hundred percent, they can. But when they race it on a two and a half k course, you're limited to a k and a half of climbing, which is really just not that much. Well, I so I you know I've been on some of these championship courses. I've not been to these venues. So I'm curious for someone pedestrian like myself, right? I mean, I'm not going to have, my heart's not going to explode going up a hill. You know, I stay relatively fit, but I'm, you know, I'm me, I'm just a regular person. I probably, would you consider it to be difficult? I mean, for example, for a course like, like Canmore skiing those courses, I find those difficult. Oh, that's a punishing okay. course. Oh, that's a punishing so, course. Canmore's punishing. Well, what about, I'm just curious, like, how about pedestrians skiing these courses? Can you put that maybe in context for someone who, you know, hasn't been to Valmustair or Tobolsk, what they're like? Yeah, I, 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 I think, I think Valmustair could give, um, someone like a Nordic enthusiast, some problems again, it, because you're probably not used to skiing it. So well, you kind of are over in Bend and skiing up at bachelor, but, yeah, it's, yeah, but most but, people, most people aren't really used to skiing at 1700 meters. And if you did 15 K on the two and a half K loop, I'm making, I'm making light of the fact that you only have a K and a half of climbing, but you also have to re- realize you're going to have to do that six times to get through 15 K. <laughs> so it's still quite a bit. So it's still quite a bit. So I think Valmustair for like a Nordic enthusiast, people would, the first few laps you'd be like oh this is just this is just nice skiing this isn't that hard some of the downhills have some some kind of hairier corners that we saw so that would probably give someone that's not a professional skier a little bit of pause um but you probably wouldn't bite till like a few laps in whereas whereas toe black honestly you just have a nice ski because there's just nothing there's just nothing there that is punishing uh on the course 
there's none of the climbs are punishing whatsoever. So, so uh, someone that just enjoys Nordic skiing, if they wanted to just, I don't know why you do that in such a beautiful area instead of going skiing right up right into up the Dolomites. But if something. you really did want to do, but if you really did want to, no, no, because Tobolak has great skiing on, on, there's a lot of skiing in Tobolak when there's good snow and the Dolomites have great snow this, this year. Um, but um, if you wanted to do that 5k course a few times, uh, someone that, that enjoys Nordic skiing and gets out like three, four times a week and has done that for a number of years, you wouldn't, you wouldn't find the Tobolak race course difficult to ski easy like just for, for a nice ski it's it's uh it's very gradual it's very gradual i guess you'd you'd probably notice that like the working sections or like the climbing sections go on for a while but the terrain itself is not punishing but if you went and skied in camor if you went and skied the state side in sochi in 2014 um or if you skied lillehammer world cup course uh that's a totally different story and you would definitely see the difference and notice the difference Okay, so um, then we have a rest day tomorrow, and then Friday is a classic sprint. Uh, no, s- sorry, Friday is a mass start classic. Saturday is the sp- classic sprint. I think I got that right. And the the climb on Sunday to, to close it out. Val di Fiemme, kind of this classic, iconic location. Anything noteworthy that people should be looking for if they're going to watch these races Friday morning? Well, I think that 10K Classic for the women and the 15K Classic, that 2.5K loop is it's challenging. That's a challenging one. We're back on championship courses here. The sprint course is the, is the sprint course from the World Championships in 2013, um, which you can YouTube and see um, the Olympic champion and uh, Kitikov, Nikita Kitikov win. Um, so that, that, it, it's a, these, these, these courses are for real in Val de Fiam, and they're tough. And... Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of excitement, especially on the women's side of things. That said, I think, uh, like I said, I think Rosie and Jesse are in such good shape. And the fact that Jesse has been able to put together a couple good distance class, not just good, a couple fantastic distance classic races back to back. It shows that um, her confidence is high. And, and also I've just been noticing her technique because Jesse can, Jesse's classic technique can, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's definitely not consistent and it can, yeah, not always the prettiest you've ever seen but she's but she's been skiing really well lately and uh, i think that bodes well for the for the races to come so after the after the classic sprint uh, sorry after the uh, 10k classic you're really going to have a good understanding of how this overall tour is going to go down um stupak is stupak one last thing with the women's because that's the field that i really love is uh stupak definitely is a uh an interesting person to watch because she's a great classic skier she's a better classic skier and I think it'll be interesting. She could make up some, no, I don't think on Jesse or Rosie that, that much, but she, she could be looking, sitting quite pretty for the, for a podium place. And the after the two classic races that are going to come, but th- don't read too much into that. She's still got to climb a hill in the skate technique. And uh, I think she, she could be one that bleeds a lot of time up that last hill. Okay. Um, have a good rest of your till Friday. How's that? Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'll just keep studying about this big exam on the 20th of uh, January. So just uh, back to the grind with physio education. So see how it okay. goes. All right. Thanks, Devin, for your time. Appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Bye. Jason. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Ciao. Thanks for listening and be safe out there.